Let her rip. Sounds cool. good. All right. So, Clint, you want to start? Yeah, I'll start it? it off. Yeah. Real quick, hang on. Meet the Pressers with Matt Mallory and Clint Macrow. Brought to you by Public Safety and Education and the Trigger Pressers Union. And now, your hosts. This episode is made possible with the generous support of Shooter Technology Group, ASP, Saber Red, Lee Armory, and the SFD Responder 2.0. Thank you. Welcome to Meet the Pressers. My name is Clint Macro, and this is my co-host, Matt Mallory. And we've got a special guest, a fellow New Yorker behind enemy lines, Mr. Eugene Jankowski. He is a former law enforcement, current law enforcement or former? Are you still? Uh, retired law Retired law enforcement. So a fellow uh, brother in blue. I also co-host of Shot to the Heart TV show and also a competitive shooter and a counselor at large. Did I miss anything? Oh, that's pretty much it. <laughs> so tell us a little about yourself tell us uh you know what you've got going on what your travels are i know when we were uh, shooting messages back and forth last week you said you were heading to pa for a competition how'd that fare out for you um i went to the pa um 2019 pennsylvania state three gun championships sponsored by three gun nation and i end up finishing third place awesome so third place practical division and fourth place overall and uh, big thing now is uh, <clears throat> the four by four, you know, they're bringing four guns and uh, shooting not just three guns, but they'll add the PCC to it. Mm-hmm. So that be a popular, um, you know, division to be in, but still the practical division out of 150 people that were there, I think there was at least 96 people in the practical division. So I did pretty well. It was a tough, it was a very tough match. A lot of shotgun, a lot of moving and shotgun shooting. So people hate that. I love shotgun. The show, you had, uh, you had said that the show was going to be picked up for a fourth season? Well, it was picked up. It, it, we're in season four right now. That's what they um, are, is on the air. But um, they took a break. There was some, uh, there was some changes in the industry. You know, sponsorships are kind of hard to get. And uh, Anorite had a problem with um, a fire at their factory, I believe, mm-hmm. a couple, maybe about a year ago now. So they were one of our main sponsors, so they had to regroup and do some things. So kind of put everything into a holding pattern at this point. So I'm not sure if they'll continue. I mean, I know they were happy with the show. I thought season four went really well. And from what I saw of it, I I was happy with the work. I mean, the first season, we were all kind of wet behind the ears, and it was kind of uh, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And We're we're in that phase right now. Yeah, definitely. definitely. (laughs) So. You, and you look back on those first episodes, and I look back on season four, and it was like, wow, we've come a long way. So, uh, you know, you'll probably be the same way. You get more comfortable with it, and you get more uh, better ideas and new things, and you're more uh, rambunctious and try new things, and it works out. Or it doesn't, but hopefully it works out. Definitely. Yeah, I was thinking that this morning in the shower. Oh, wait, I didn't need to say that. that, that cut. No. Oh, weren't thinking of me in the shower. No, I was thinking of the show, and not Clint specifically, so... <laughs> Oh, see, now you just made that weird. Yeah, I did make that really weird. Uh, Survive a a shift change in a police locker room, you could survive anything. Yeah, amen. Amen. (laughs) It's so true. Actually, speaking of that, I got to work tonight in court, so it's going to be a fun afternoon for me. 
I'll enjoy it. Definitely. So as far as uh, the show, how did that come about? How did they find out about you? How, you know, were you, were you looking out? Were they actively looking for hosts or did you stumble across it? Well, actually, it, it started with me being really active in the three-gun community, being out there and shooting a lot of national matches and getting to know all the um, guys that are really competitive and, and just, you know, squatting with them guys, getting becoming friends with them. And then uh, apparently a producer was looking for somebody and a friend of a friend, you know, threw my name out there. And they were basically looking for a firearm safety person. And um, I said, sure, I'll try anything once. You know, what the heck? Why not? And then uh, after I met them and got talking to them, uh, there came an opening for a host position and they uh, offered me that job. And then it went from there. Kind of uh, kind of fell into it in a way, but in another way, I was working hard without realizing it by just being out there in the community and, and competing. So got my name out there. Hi, I'm Steve McClafferty from the range of Fennelton Firearms. You're watching Meet the Pressers with Matt Mallory and Clint Macro. Meet the Pressers. So the competitions, uh, primarily three gun. Yeah, um, I did. I was really having to three gun because um, it being at the time being law enforcement, I figured that kind of went into what the tactical aspect was. Yep. Uh, and when they did some restructuring at the police department and eliminated the three lieutenants positions, it was more of a political ploy, as you probably could attest to as being in law enforcement. Those things will happen. Mm -hmm. And that. Um, I couldn't just stop training because I was, uh, you know, the ERT commander and I was doing all the training. It was pretty much a lifestyle thing. You know, you're pretty much training every day whether you need to or not. It's just what I love to do, what I needed to do, and what benefited the department by doing so. By just changing gears, I couldn't just stop that. So I put all that training and I changed gears and revamped it into more of a three-gun format. So used all those tactical skills, addressed them towards the three-gun idea, and then that's gave me another purpose and it gave me, uh, kept my range ideas going and kept me moving in that direction. Do you serve politically in the town that you serve as law enforcement? That's how it happened. When that whole restructuring took place, the powers that be in the community weren't really happy about that. Um, apparently, you know, I had been in the community for at least 33 years um, and in a higher um administrative function in the police department. At one time, I was actually even acting chief for a period of time. Uh, but my goal was to stay in the lieutenant's position. I enjoyed the SWAT. I enjoyed all that. I didn't want to become uh, attached to a desk as a police chief doing budget and whatnot. So I avoided that. But um, the powers that be at the time were fearful of a new chief coming in and the issues that might occur with old-time lieutenants being around so they eliminated the position and it angered a lot of people. So no sooner did I retire uh, on April 1st, uh, April Fool's Day, ironically enough, of 2013. <laughs> on April 2nd, I received a call from the Republican Party asking me if I'd be interested to run for city council because they wanted some things cleaned up. And they said, uh, can you maybe help out with that? You seem like you have a lot of passion. You seem like you have a lot of know-how. And you've obviously just been kind of semi-wrong. You need something go in there and clean house. So uh, I said, sure, you know, again, I'll try anything once, right? I know, go for it. <laughs> so uh, um, I wasn't a Republican. I wasn't any affiliation. Uh, during my time in the police department, I just felt that I shouldn't be affiliated with any one party. I served everybody. So that was kind of my mentality going in. And I said, I don't want to be a politician, but I will be an elected representative. 
And I think those keywords are important because being elected representative is more of doing what the people want. And I think politician kind of has a negative, mm-hmm. at least has a negative connotation. It's more of a full-time job of uh, personal interest. And I don't want to do that. So yeah. ask me, what do you think about this new building going in or whatever? I say, I have one opinion, but what is your opinion? Because there's, I'm representing you. What's your voice? So that was my attitude going into it. And uh, I became a Republican at that point. I signed up to be on the Republican Party. Uh, my wife had joked and said, you really have no choice because if you become a Democrat, I will strangle you in your sleep. <laughs> and she was joking, of course. There was no violence there. Please don't run for it. sense of her because she was a diehard Republican all her life and so that was kind of the joke at the time but that's how I got into it. I, I ran and the public uh, received me really well I one of the highest vote getters uh, out of nine people running for three at large positions um, and then came on to council with a vengeance and uh, they were kind of afraid at first but you know um, I can work with anybody I don't have to like people to work with them right so mm-hmm. our, we I made them uh, I didn't make them. I, I led the way with being ethically sound and um, being uh, in tune to the public and, and keeping my personal interest out of it. And uh, it seemed to be well received. And, and it kind of changed the whole dynamics. And we're, we went in a different direction. We got economic development going on. We have uh, downtown revitalization going on. We seem to be pulling out of the dumps of that last recession we had recently. So it seems to be working. So Positive attitude moving forward. I think it's going to work out all right. Very nice. Yeah, Clinton and I both try to do as much as we can. Clinton, PA, obviously, and then me up here. I was down in Albany about three months ago talking to the different politicians and different gun laws that they're introducing, like banning the 50 BMG and requiring the training, the five hours of training with shooting and a written test. And right. You know, the one they're trying to come out with is the shotgun, or I should say uh, the you've got to have a hunting license in order to buy any kind of long gun. They're trying to push that one through, too. Yeah, we're in a weird predicament now with, a, with one majority of any party. Um, I'm not a good idea. I mean, I wouldn't say any party. When you have, you, you need that balance of point and counterpoint. And I think when any one party kind of takes charge, it, you got the chance of maybe them going off the rails a little bit. It makes me I think that balance needs to be there, that, that uh, yin and yang, that discourse, that positive, negative, that makes a good team. As you know, as part of teams, you don't always have everybody going in the same direction. There's people that speak up and have different ideas. That's what makes a team great, I think, is all the people being represented there. So I think that's important. So I'm worried. I'm worried about Albany. I'm worried about some of the things. That, and everybody in my three-gun community keeps telling me, why do you live up there? Come down here. But there's no safe place to go, even Texas is kind of going off the rails now. So I have no idea where we're going to go with it. Yeah, we lived in the in uh, Research Triangle Park down in, in North Carolina back in the 90s. When I, after I got out of the military, it was in restaurant management. And it was beautiful. We love North Carolina. We said we'd always want to go back there. but And they were very conservative back then. And now it's just it's getting worse and worse down there, too. So yeah. you're right. No place to go. They're having a big election right now, I guess, for one of their um, – either their Congress seats or Senate seats. I think they're having a re-election based on something that got nulled in the last election. So they're having a unique situation down there. It's a Republican-held seat, 9th District, I believe. Mm-hmm. And see how that plays out. They could set the pace for the whole election going forward 
in 2020, and they might give them some momentum. If Democrats unseat a 60-year Republican seat, it could be an interesting dynamic down there. So what kind of things here in New York State are you worried about as far as uh, politics and uh, specifically, is there any certain laws or bills that you want to, uh, you'd like to discuss? You made, you made the pun there about the red flag. So that's definitely something that we're all concerned about. Well, and, and as you know, in law enforcement, um, not every complainant is telling the truth. I mean, just because somebody calls you first doesn't mean that they're the right person. They're not always the innocent party. Yep. Uh, I've any a complainant in my day, you know, in my, in, in that business, the customer isn't always right. You know, so um, you can, you gotta, you gotta use your investigation skills and find out what's really going on. But that's the fear of the red flag laws. They're going to be that first caller and someone's not going to know they've been called upon and what happens? You know, that's, that's the question. What happens is someone going to, you know, call out the SWAT team at four in the morning or are they going to be like gentlemen and phone you up and say, can you come down to the police station? We'd like to talk to you about something, you know, um, obviously um, it depends on the agency, but there's a lot of fears out there. People are concerned. Nobody knows how they're going to react to it. And get the wrong gun ho individuals and, and things can go south really fast. Now you got a problem. And I'm not against vetting people. I know, uh, you know, it, it, I just feel it upsets me that I get held accountable for someone else's criminal actions. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How, I mean, uh, you know, whenever there's a road rage, in, in, a road rage incident, we don't blame the vehicle. We we grab the individual. So why is this any different? Someone's still using a several thousand pound vehicle to to injure somebody or ram somebody off the road. It's still a dangerous thing, even probably more dangerous when you got two moving cars on the expressway. Very so true. that's that's an interesting point. And, and with the vast majority of the red flag laws that are out there and the ones that are being proposed, it doesn't account for that. So if you are turned in by somebody, they come to take the firearms, but then you have whatever time necessary to make yourself cleared, but you're out in public with your car with all the chemicals you have under your sink, you're still in public. So if people were truly concerned about giving that individual treatment or making them quote safe around their, their families or their fellow citizens, then why would they just take the guns and put them back into society? So that's where I believe these laws lose their integrity. It's all about the guns. It's a gun grab. Yep. It does seem to be this to be the case. You're blaming me for something else that I can't stop. So I'm frustrated. And I think all gun owners feel the same way. You're blaming me for something I can't possibly control and I would never do. I would never harm anybody. Then why am I getting blamed for something? And you're punishing me. And your red flag thing is scary because I got to defend myself. And if somebody wants to destroy somebody, um, somebody like myself who's on Facebook, who's competing, and that's my life right now. Uh, someone wants to get even with me for whatever weird reason. They red flag me, and then a month later, somebody else red flags me, and a month later, somebody else does. And I'm out tens of thousands of dollars defending myself, trying to get my stuff back. Yep. And that's somebody's livelihood or lifestyle or whatever. I don't know how they're going to protect from that uh, false claim. And there has been cases where people are a little mental and they they feel they're doing the right thing by making a false claim because they think they're doing society a favor. Hello, this is Clint Macro, founder of the Trigger Pressers Union. Elected officials at the local, state, and federal level are assaulting the rights and liberties of law-abiding citizens as they seek to impose restriction on our Second Amendment. Law-abiding gun owners from across the country are converging on Washington, D.C. November 2nd to let their voices be heard and say enough is enough. Log on to secondamendmentrally.com 
to pledge your support and dedication to the movie. Now, back to Meet the Pressers. We had a lady had seen some somebody in the in the aisle trying to get a box of cereal. You know, he's not a serial killer. I know the guy. And dun, dun, dun. and oh, I uh, get it. That's that's clever. Yeah, you I like that. I use that in my classes. They love it. Anyway, uh, she goes to the front. She she says that somebody on aisle whatever's got a gun. And uh, next thing you know, Auburn SWAT's coming down both both aisles with their ARs out coming right at the guy. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa my badge is in my back pocket. He's a local corrections officer. Oh, wow. And he's moving around, and somehow, some way, some of his his gun, his firearm was seen. Maybe it was just the holster, and this person called it. So they, I mean, they dropped him to the ground, checked his badge, checked his gun, checked you know, all that, and then uh, they were like, "Okay, you're good, brother." And they start walking away, and he's like, "Whoa, wait a minute, what do you mean I'm good? What the hell was that about?" And they're like, "Oh, some somebody said they seen your gun, and they called it in." He's like, "Are you shitting me? This is still America, but you know, people are just thinking that it's automatically negative, and it's not." That's one of the reasons, that, and I don't know how your department is, but we required our off-duty guys to carry a badge clipped to their belt right near the firearm. Yep. So if the firearm gets exposed, the, the badge is going to be exposed. Exactly. So it's got to be nearby. It's got to be within an inch of the gun. It's one of the policies. So yep. if, the badge, if the shirt comes up and you're bending over to pick up your kids or whatever, the badge is going to be seen, and that might at least prevent that. But, again, you're talking to Auburn. You're talking a person shopping. The call came in. I mean, I think the response was a little over response. I think a couple officers, uh, you know, moseying through the aisles, locating the guy and yep. calling. Might have been a little more discreet than running into thing with ARs drawn and looking like it was an active shooting situation, especially under the circumstances. The lady, I'm sure, said, oh, he was reaching for something. And I saw he had a firearm on his waistband. Yep. Most I don't know about you, but most criminals that I've dealt with, when they carry guns, don't use holsters. That's true. Because they want to ditch the gun if the police come, and they don't want to have, what's this holster for on your belt? Oh, I just leave an empty holster. <laughs> Possession's they, nine tenths, right? They don't have a holster, so it's a cop thing. If the minute I hear gun in a holster, I'm thinking, okay, he's a concealed carrier, he's a firearms guy, he's an instructor, whatever. You know, you're going to think other things. This is Destry Jeter with the USCCA. You're watching Meet the Pressers with Clint Macro and Matt Mowry. Meet the Pressers. You're going to carry that concealed gun? I hope the hell you're practicing with it and you're, con you're consistently able to make shots with it because yeah. you're carrying it. People are counting on that to be effective, and you don't want to hit an innocent party and uh, or errant rounds flying all over the place. So you definitely just carrying is one part of the equation. Training and being proficient as you can be with that firearm is the other part of the equation, I think the more important part, so. Well, I hold all of my students accountable. What should your expectation be every time you press the trigger? Right. A, good, a good hit. And if you don't have that expectation, you do not have business taking that shot. Yep. Right. And, and it's only through you know, frequent realistic training we get to learn thyself enough to know, know, know our own limitations. What's Dirty Harry say? Man's got to know his own limitations. There's truth to that. Right, right. And I would say some of the, one of the things I found out, and Matt could probably attest to this, is not all law enforcement guys are pro they should be with their firearms. And if yep. I can anybody to do anything, it's buy your own ammo and get your ass out there and practice. And I don't want to hear the old, well, the city should pay me to do it. No, I'm expecting you to protect my life, your life, and your fellow officer's life. And they only have so many limited resources to train you only so much a year. And some agencies are lucky to go once a year if they're lucky. Yeah. 
get your butt out there and get rounds down range and, and be proficient with the gun you're going to carry on a daily basis. But unfortunately, I've seen a lot of dust bunnies and guns when they come to quality. Yeah, I was going to say, I've seen some of the biggest lint balls in holsters that I've <laughs> with law enforcement guys and I've seen anywhere else. Yeah. And they carry them every day and it's fine. But, you know, they tend to be, you know, uh, armrests and they tend to be, uh, you know, uh, whatever you're going to hang on the gun to hold on to it for a second instead of uh, the tool that it is. We're in a different mindset, too, nowadays. Uh, nowadays, if you just put your hand on the firearm as a rest, like you were alluding to, people consider that excessive force or a use of force, a display of use of force. I've seen officers, you know, flicking their level three holster on and off the hood, you know, turn it and just moving it because they're fidgety or whatever. They're treating it as a, as a prop more than they are a, an actual tool that, you know, that can intimidate somebody, especially with the, the, um, the, the people out there these days. The, what, what do we call them? Snowflakes and such? Yeah, well, and I, I go back to the days of revolvers when I started, and I lo and I went to the academy using a loop loader to reload on them. Wow, that was common. It wasn't like it was because it was the, you know they were archaic. It was that was the most modern thing back in like '78 when I went to the academy. So uh, you can be pretty proficient with anything—a revolver and a loop loader. You know how to use it, yeah. but you'd see there was always that guy with like that one bullet. It was all worn out, and I grabbed the guy because we were using the um, semi-wad cutters at the time, the lead uh, semi-wad cutter. Yeah. So I said, why is that one bullet all worn out? He goes, oh, I keep forgetting my pen. So I just grab it, and I use it like as a pencil, and I like it, and it. And I grabbed it, and it works. You can actually take a lead bullet, and it'll write on it. So I was like, okay, you learned something new that I will never use. <laughs> but that, you know, the mentality goes from like that point of mentality to – um, loop loaders when the bullets were all green inside because they weren't changing the ammo out. Right. Hey, where you have, um, you know, standard capacity magazines and um, all the tools you need, and yet guys still aren't taking advantage of it. You don't take advantage of it. So maybe we should appreciate it more. I don't know. I just got to know, was that guy's name Barney? Yeah, there's all, you know, the old timers. You know, I was the new guy. You know, I came, I was the era that came in that we were the college guys, you know, uh, right. the old timers military or high school graduates or whatever um and we were that new generation coming in that had gone to college for criminal justice and whatnot it was that changeover in the 70s and all that was happening and colleges were offering those courses and such so they were you know there was that gender gap to a to, to a degree there but um you know what they're you know i miss those guys they, they had a lot to, we had a lot you can learn from those old timers and talking to people and getting out of your car and just making making contacts and people contacts I think we miss a lot of that today but uh hey you know what it's the millennial era what, what can i say what advice would you give to someone who's watching our show that wants to get into competition shooting um i don't know i would say start with what you have you know i mean you don't i mean there's always that mistake where guys will go and watch an event and then they want to buy all the terran tactical you know stuff and all the latest sti uh combat masters and stuff um, I, I would say, you know, I started out with a, a M&P because I preferred it with the grip uh, adaptability back before Glock was doing that. The M&P was doing it first. So I went with an M&P, um, a regular Benelli shotgun, and a, uh, an AR. Uh, my AR that I carry now is actually the same AR that I had on the ERT team. Uh, we built our own. I built all the ARs for the ERT. They were short-barreled with uh, suppressors on them. So since we were able to build them, we were able to unbuild them. If you buy them already SBR, you can't unbuild them. 
So um, I made sure this was the case before I invested in this. So I built one of my own into this and I registered it, the part I do that. When I left, I was able to unregister it, the offending part away, take the short barrel off, as they call it, the offending part. And I put a barrel on it. That is the gun that still is with me today in competition. Carried me throughout some thick times in the in the PD, and it's gotten me through some tough times in competition. So that's the original gun I carried. You can take your own 8R and add to it, put a trigger in it. I, I use CMC Trigger. They're one of my sponsors. But you can put a nice drop-in trigger in it, and you can take an AR and turn it into a great gun with just a trigger. And then learn how to load the shotgun, and you got a Glock. Use standard capacity magazines at first. if you can get them, get an extension, and you're good to go. The rest is all, um, my suggestion would be invest in ammo and in range time would be more valuable than buying all the equipment. Go to the range and learn the gear. Uh, do your reloads, you know, in the winter blizzards we have around here. I learned to do quad loading, one blizzard. So uh, you can learn it to your home with dummy loads and, um, you know, a lot of Band-Aids, you know, I'm, <laughs> You know, that's what I would say to do. Start with dry fire and just use what you got. Get Be proficient with the guns in your safe. Have you ever shot the uh, NRA World Shooting Championship? Matter of fact, um, I've shot it pretty much every year. This year I'm squatted with Jerry Mitchellett, Todd Jarrett, Chris Serino. Um, I forget who else. I, I, I don't know how it en ended up that way, but I ended up on a pretty uh, wild squat. And uh, Bruce Pyatt, I think, is going to be on the squad. So that cool. With some top guys, I'll be able to watch and learn some neat stuff. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I shot the last two years and performed reasonably unremarkably. <laughs> well, the first year I went was 17 and I won a uh, custom-built Voodoo Gunworks Long Range 22. Uh, that's a nice gun, man. Paul Parrott, they, they make really good stuff over there. I, I actually use it. I'll be training with it today because I got the New York State PRS match coming up. It's the grand finale this Saturday. And um, I'm training with that Voodoo. I put targets, little teeny targets out, like 150 yards, and I practice all the position shooting, tank trap, barricades, barrels, uh, awkward um, tree limbs, whatever. Um, and I can get that same practice, like dry fire, only with a result. And it's a little mm -hmm. better than to actually see my result on target, and it's cheap. And it shoots like it's a tack driver. It's an awesome little rifle. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a race car for sure. It really is. It cost me a lot of money, but I'm glad I bought it. Well, how can people uh, learn more about you, watch the show, et cetera? Give us some uh, some feedback on how can people can stalk you. Um, they don't seem to have a problem right now. <laughs> uh, but if nice people want to stalk me, that's cool. Um, yeah. You can find me on Facebook, Eugene Jankowski Jr. Uh, not too many people with that name on Facebook, so if you type that in, I should pop up. Uh, I have a shooter page and an individual page. Pretty much I buy post everything on both pages anyway. Well, it was great having you on and uh, definitely keep shooting out there, brother. Stay safe and we look forward to maybe having you on again or at least seeing you at the shows or maybe next year we'll, uh, Clint and I will make sure we both do the, the NRA annual shoot. Yeah, do, do the NRA shoot and uh, if I see you on there, I'll squad with you guys and we could uh, spend the weekend together and we'll have fun shooting other people's guns and other people's ammo. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, take care, sir. Thank you. Good luck on, you guys, on your show. Thank Thanks. you. Stay safe. We have a lot of sponsors that made this show possible. Make sure you check them out and give them your business. This episode is made possible with the generous support of Shooter Technology Group, ASP, Saber Red, Lee Armory, and the SFD Responder 2.0. Thank you.
September 24th and 25th, 2019, over 300 men and women from all across Pennsylvania traveled to Harrisburg to stand up for liberty. Patriots including Kim Stolfer, Joshua Prince, Charles Gallo, Walt Gibson, Dr. John Lott, and Val Finnell all offered compelling testimony to the Pennsylvania Senate Judiciary Committee. I want to add a final comment, something that my distinguished colleague here brought up about um, the number of people who are succumb to medical misadventures. So this, this, uh, this study came out in 2001 and it initially was 100,000 people are killed uh, due to medical error. Could, it's actually much higher than that. Why do we still go to doctors? Okay, right. well the answer is easy. Okay, the reason why we still go to a physician is because physicians help far more people than they hurt. And it's the same thing with firearms. We heard a lot of statistics yesterday, and unfortunately, Dr. John Lott didn't get a lot of time to talk yesterday. He could have gone into this. You know, we had a lot of statistics about how many people were killed by gun violence. He did provide much of that to us, and it was somewhat his choice to answer to some of the yes. testimony. Sure. And I, I, I respected that, but everybody does have a copy of his extensive Excellent. Excellent. information. Thank you so, so much. But, thank you. So the point is, I'm trying to make is, you, you can't, like, from an epidemiology, I'm a preventive medicine doc, I have a master's in public health, it would be like saying, we're only going to look at the number of people who were harmed by vaccines. And that's all we look at. We don't look at the number of preventable diseases by, prevented by vaccines. So it's the same thing with firearms. So if you look at the number of people who were killed in homicides compared to defensive gun uses, the Centers for Disease Control, their own data, their own research from a study they did in 2013, 500,000 to 3 million defensive gun uses per year. That's up to 208 times, 200, up to 208 times the number of people who were killed with a firearm in a homicide. So you have to look at both sides in, in public health. It's not just the untoward effect of something, it's also the beneficial effect. And with that, I'll conclude. Thank you for the opportunity to testify. Thanks for watching the show. Oh yeah, okay, here we go. Ready? Thanks for watching the show. Don't forget to subscribe, like, share, comment, and click that little bell so you know when we're gonna upload new videos. So until next time. Until next time. Until next time. I'll do. Meet the Pressers.